during the abolition movement leading up to the American Civil War and the emancipation of black Americans, Frederick Douglass proclaimed, those who profess to favor freedom yet deprecate agitation are people who want crops without plowing up the ground. They want rain without thunder and lightning. They want the ocean without the awful roar of its waters. A freed black man himself, Douglas often spoke to white audiences and was no stranger to the pulpits and platforms of Boston. After escaping from slavery, he became a leader in the abolition movement, gaining note for his dazzling oratory and incisive anti-slavery writings. He stood as a living counterexample to slaveholders' arguments that slaves lacked the intellectual capacity to function as independent American citizens. Many Northerners also found it hard to believe that such a great orator had once been a slave. In 1843, Douglas joined other speakers in the American Anti-Slavery Society's 100 Conversations Project, a six-month tour at meeting halls and houses of worship throughout the eastern and midwestern United States. During this tour, slavery supporters frequently accosted Douglas. At a lecture in Pendleton, Indiana, an angry mob chased and beat Douglas before a local Quaker family rescued him. His hand was broken in that attack, it healed improperly, and it bothered him for the rest of his life. Douglas often spoke words that neither side of the debate wanted to hear. He called slaveholders tyrants. He also showed how northern liberals were complicit through their business practices in keeping slavery alive and he rejected the idea that slavery could be ended without strife. Find out what the people will submit to, he said, and you have found the exact amount of injustice which will be imposed upon them. The limits of tyrants are prescribed by the endurance of those whom they oppress. 120 years after Douglas's death, we live in times where the same principle is true. Black Americans are no longer legally owned by white people, but they are still very much oppressed by a system dominated by the wealthy and the powerful. Whether we look at predatory lending practices, discrimination in housing, racial profiling in arrests, or the inability to find work if one has a criminal record, you can see that tyranny has not gone out of fashion in the United States. That there are more African-American men in the criminal justice system today than were ever owned on plantations means that rather than making progress, we have simply shifted the burden and redefined the slavery. If Frederick Douglass were alive today, he could fill auditoriums with his fiery words condemning injustices and brutality in places like Ferguson, Missouri and Phoenix, Arizona. Wealth and power have changed their tactics very little from his day, and maybe that is how it has always been. We only have to look at the story of Jesus' Palm Sunday confrontation with wealth and power 
to see how that in his own time, Frederick Douglass himself might have understood that slavery had deep roots stretching back thousands of years. Douglass could have been thinking of Jesus' triumphant ride into Jerusalem when he wrote, This struggle may be a moral one, but it may, or it may be both a moral and a physical one, but it must be a struggle. Power concedes nothing without a demand. It never did, and it never will. On the eve of Passover, a holiday that celebrates Jewish freedom from slavery in Egypt, Jesus of Nazareth leaves his preaching in the countryside and rides into Jerusalem, the seat of power and wealth for the entire region. On the eve of a festival that all Jews living in Roman-occupied Judea will recognize as a call for their own freedom, Jesus demands reform, first from the Jewish leaders who work for Caesar, and then from the Roman governor Pontius Pilate himself. In what we might think of as a suicide mission, Jesus brings his fiery words and radical action to the very doorstep of those who ruled Judea through intimidation. Like Douglas, we are not surprised that the people in power objected. We're not surprised that Jesus is beaten. We are not even surprised that he is put to death. His deification as the Son of of God will come decades later. But the Jesus that we see entering Jerusalem is equal parts freedom fighter and spiritual teacher. And he is not alone among those who are willing to risk it all to free their people. He is not alone among those who want to restore the kingdom of God for all. In their book, The Last Week, Marcus Borg and John Dominic Crossan write, The conflict initiated on Palm Sunday is not about priests and sacrifice, as if Jesus' primary passion was a protest against the role of priestly mediators and against animal sacrifice. Rather, his protest was against a domination system legitimated in the name of God, a domination system radically different from what the already present and coming kingdom of God, the dream of God, would be like. They write, It was not Jesus against Judaism, or Judaism against Jesus. Rather, he was a Jewish voice, one of several first-century Jewish voices, about what the loyalty to the God of Judaism meant. And for Christians, he is the decisive Jewish voice. Jesus' confrontation with power has come down to us in one of the most well-known stories in Western culture. Yet 2,000 years later, we have a hard time sorting out who was doing what and why. The most terrible use of the events of Jesus' last days have been used to oppress Jews themselves. Christian anti-Semitism over the centuries has resulted in widespread persecution of the Jewish people. They've been denied work, the ability to own land and property, and the freedom to travel. They've They've had their businesses and their synagogues burned. Jews have endured all manner of abuse, and many have lost their lives because Christians accused them 
of killing Jesus. You and I must not let this aspect of this story continue unchecked. The Jews who ruled Jerusalem at the time of Jesus' death were not free to govern themselves. Roman occupation made it impossible for them to ignore Jesus' confrontation. Either they dealt with him or Rome would deal with them. To quote Frederick Douglass again, find out what the people will submit to and you have found the exact amount of injustice that will be imposed upon them. From his entry into Jerusalem, to his clash with the money changers in the temple, to his mock trial and execution, Jesus is always a Jew trying to get other Jews to throw off the yoke of their oppression. He's always wanting his own people to live the Exodus story in their own time. Is it any wonder that African Americans from the first days of slavery up to today have used both the Exodus story and the events of Holy Week to seek freedom in both body and soul? For what the Exodus story may not have been able to provide in actual freedom, Jesus' promise of spiritual freedom gave African Americans and many others the daily courage to live on under incredible oppression. If your body is captive, but your mind is free, you can still have peace. If you live a nightmare, but your soul cannot be owned, you can still have hope. But where do you and I fit into this story today? That's the point of repeating it, after all. What role do you and I play in Jesus' passion narrative? Are we among the ones who are cutting palm fronds from our own trees for him to ride on and for us to wave in the air? Do we sing Hosanna in the highest? Or are we some of the ones who are actually threatened by his confrontation, worried that we will lose wealth and power and influence? I would like to think that we can be faithful to his message of liberation, but the story tells us that even Jesus' closest friends were so frightened by Rome's power that they denied ever knowing him. Frederick Douglass learned to read at age 12 and went on to further educate himself by reading anything that he could get his hands on. He also taught others to read until this activity was stopped and he was beaten for it. As a teenager, the cruelty of his owner, a poor white farmer, nearly broke him psychologically. After a couple of unsuccessful attempts at escaping from slavery, 20-year-old Frederick Douglass successfully jumped a northbound train in Baltimore on September 3, 1838. He reached the southwest shore of the Susquehanna River, which he crossed by steamboat, dressed in a sailor's uniform, provided to him by Anna Murray, a free woman, and his fiancée. With papers obtained from a free black seaman, Douglas traveled through Delaware and on to Philadelphia, where he was taken in at a safe house. His entire journey to freedom took less than 24 hours. 
After successfully sending for Anna, the couple married and they moved to New York City. I have often been asked, he says, how I felt when first I found myself on free soil. There is scarcely anything in my experience about which I could not give a more satisfactory answer. A new world had opened up to me, he writes. If life is more than breath and the quick round of blood, I lived more in one day than in a year of my slave life. It was a time of joyous excitement which words can tamely describe. In a letter to a friend soon after reaching New York, I said, I felt as one might feel upon escape from a den of hungry lions. Anguish and grief, like darkness and rain, may be depicted, but gladness and joy, like the rainbow, defy the skill of pen and pencil. It is my prayer that the limits of tyrants will be tested again in our time. It is also my prayer that we will be some of the ones who are doing the testing. There is much injustice in our world we must speak out. There is much inequality in our world we must act differently. There is much waste of life and potential we must demand that this waste cease. These changes will not come easily. They will not come without personal sacrifice. They will not come overnight. Power concedes nothing without a demand. It never did, and it never will. There's a brave foolishness in offering your mind and body and spirit for the cause of justice, and there is something enlivening about it, too. The oppressed people of Jerusalem were eager and excited to see Jesus. In him they had a champion. In them, in him they had a teacher. Neither he nor they saw the Messiah. That would come later. That day in crowded Jerusalem, the crowd saw a symbol of how life might be better. They saw a leader who was willing to take on tyranny. That day of light and gladness, of prophecy and song. Past, present, and future stood embodied in the life of one man. That day he was their king. That day they were slaves no more. Let us find freedom today for ourselves and for others too. So be it. Amen.